G'day humans, welcome to the safe space for dangerous ideas. Uh, today, uh, one of the greatest legends uh, in uh, in drag queenery globally, perhaps second only to RuPaul. Uh, Courtney Act is the uh, the character, the pseudonym of Shane Jennick. Shane is really interesting, fascinating human being. Uh, you know, you probably know Courtney as Australia's most popular drag queen and singer and television personality. Courtney came to prominence, you may have forgotten, on Australian Idol, the Australian version of Pop Idol, American Idol, and so on, uh, in 2003. Uh, she was on RuPaul's Drag Race in 2014. She's done an enormous amount of television hosting. She made it big in the United Kingdom in 2018 when she was on Celebrity Big Brother, and uh, she won. She won the season, and she really revolutionised and changed people's ideas about I suppose, gender and sexuality and gay people and drag queens and all the rest of it um, by through some of her sort of confronting interactions with some of the other contestants in the Big Brother household. Um, she released a song for Eurovision for the Eurovision final in 2018, came in fourth place. Uh, she was on Dancing with the Stars in Australia. Look, to try to summarise Courtney's role by reciting a list of achievements uh, is invariably going to be unsuccessful because Courtney looms so large in Australian public life and means so much to the LGBTQI plus community. But who is the person behind Courtney? Who is this young Queenslander named Shane Jennick? Shane is very thoughtful. I have a lot of respect for him as not just a performer and a boundary pusher, but as someone who wants to think about what gender is and what sex is uh, in both meanings of that word and what sexuality is. And while we're all sort of chattering on the sidelines about transgender rights and gender critical theory and so on, here is an individual who has devoted his entire life to playing with the boundaries of these definitions and to exploring different ways of acting out, essentially, uh, of inhabiting different types of gender expression and different sexualities. So I thought it would be fascinating to sit down with Shane and pick his brain about himself and Courtney. And it was. I hope you love this as much as I did. Enjoy the one and only Shane Jennick. Buying specifically because uh, the market is going down, or is this, is this fortuitous timing? Good. Um, I I got the wrong timing. Oh. But I, then everyone always says, "Look, in the long term, everything's going to go up." And I say, "How can it keep going up?" There's probably less buyers, which is good for me. Why? Oh, you mean yes, right? I said, yeah, "Yeah, no." When we bought, you couldn't you couldn't go to an auction. Because everything, there were no auctions really taking place. People would put in offers that were so high that the buyer, that the seller would pull it before the auction. Right. So unless you're that person, no, you don't get it. Can you lift your mic up so that you're talking into it a bit more? That's Do I need good. to wear these headphones? Will I hear no, anything? No, you won't hear anything apart from your dulcet tones and my beautiful, rich timbre. It does sound nice, actually. It's nice, isn't it? it I mean, it does sound does. nice. It's... I just wear them because I want to make sure that we're not we speaking too out. loud or... I feel like you're speaking into my brain now, which is nice. That's the magic of radio yeah. and podcasting. It's very intimate. It is nice, isn't it? Yeah. They say that it's the most intimate of media, yeah. mediums, I think medias. like podcasts, like yeah, things that happen in your ears and reading books. 
Yeah, well, that's a direct line into your brain. But then there's uh, not another human being who's who you're hearing no. at all, except for. But reading a book can squiggles. be a bit like brainwashing, like in a not in a bad way, but like you're just like. It's teleporter. It's like a telepathy. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, the listener couldn't see you doing those hand movements. No, have we started? This yeah, sure. This oh, is yeah, okay. this is the show. that's how the this show is the goes. Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the listener because okay. you were just I'll going sure the listener you were going, yeah, the, it's like telepathy, but you're holding your hands out like you were doing like you were hypnotizing me. Like I was hypnotizing in you. In some way. Yeah. Oh dear, oh dear. Well, I'm glad we could finally sit down. Hi. I thought nice it was to gonna be, be more difficult to I thought to schedule you. You seem like a busy person. Well, you got me on a good week. Great. Or a good day. Good day. Yeah. Should I, I not? Should I cut out all the stuff about you buying an expensive property? Uh, Is yeah. it an apartment or a house? Apartment. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, maybe, but cut out that part. No, I won't cut it out. <laughs> you don't care, do you? Well, I, I do because I feel like the less you talk about your success, the better. <laughs> yeah, but it's not success. It's a tiny apartment, and it's in a terrible part of town. Bitty, tiny it's a little house. tiny apartment. And it's in, it's, it's really a, a small shoe. It's a crack den. <laughs> That's how I saw okay. it advertised. So let's not go that far. I didn't, it's, a, it's the shittiest, <laughs> most, it's basically a gutter, it's a gutter horse den. <laughs> That's what it is. Okay, now you've gone too far. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, lovely to talk to you, especially outside of a formal or, uh, you know, presenting or hosting environment. Well, you know Do what you? I like about this? What? Is that I am on a journey to upgrade my, I don't want to say like debating skills, oh, but yeah. I, I, I often think that I have the information, I have the, the right approach, but I don't always have the immediate oratory skills in a high stress environment, like a Q&A or a, you know, when you're, when you're talking to someone who's a bit adversarial, mm. or at least I don't have a lot of practice in that. And I thought, oh, this will be nice because I feel safe with Josh, but I also know that I will be challenged in a safe environment. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's a nice thing that you could, that's the nicest thing you could say about me, really, oh, except for it's saying nicest. That have beautiful blue eyes. And, yeah, I said you, know, you looked you healthy say I and well-rested. And and well re- I think you said radiant. I said, but I, that could I be interpreted radiant yeah. from what you'd said. It's a fair Handsome, interpretation. Brilliant. Dashing. Dashing. I interpreted all of that yeah. from the fact that you said you look well. Yeah. No, I, that's what I meant. Great. So you, you got see the what would, the what, mind would is what would where would the adversarial component come in, in uh, between you and me? Well, not adversarial between you and I, but more just it's the podcast is called uncomfortable conversations. It is, that's true. So I look forward to having my ideas challenged mm. um, because I think that you know you're not inclined to just sit and agree with your guest on this podcast. You're going to ask questions and and maybe point out blind spots in. What I what my argument is. I mean, one of the interesting things that that uh, that this show does, I hope, is also sometimes just have conversations that, even if I'm not, even if they're not uncomfortable with the guest, that they we're at least talking about something that is uncomfortable for other people to yeah. broach without feeling like they have to adhere to a certain script. Yeah. And one of the things in that area, in in the area that you dabble in. Dabble. Dabble in the dark you arts dabble. masculinity. You, d- <laughs> you do more than dabble, my friend. You <laughs> jump in. Uh, would be the, yeah, What like, so let's talk about pride. Okay. Why don't we start there? Because that would be probably the most thing, the thing that most straight people would feel the least comfortable challenging. The cornerstone of the gay community also happens to be one of the seven deadly sins. 
That's a good point. Yes. <laughs> Why didn't we pick gluttony? Well. Which we also have in spades. We do. Vanity. Vanity. I don't what know which are ones. They? There's the... seven. There's fourteen because it's that like true? it's well no there's seven but it's like we're uh, not very good Christians. Greek and Roman, you know, where everybody's got yeah. a name oh, in both. Okay, right. I've got two names. I get it. Yeah, that's right. Courtney Act, Shane Jenick. But You've probably got a middle name as well. I do. It's Gilberto. Is that right? It is Shane Gilberto Jenick. Yeah, I love it. I'm going to call you Gilberto from it's now my on. My dad's name and my dad's dad's name. Can I call you Gilly? Yeah, sure. How about Gilly? That's what I call my dad though. Is that right? That's, hey Gilly. Hey Gilly. Yeah. Gilberto. So the the most uncomfortable conversation that a straight person could have about gay people would be to say, "Really? That's the most? Do you think a conversation about pride? I thought pride was like pretty much done and dusted now. Or am I living in the bubble? I think pride is pretty much done and dusted oh. in the sense that everyone's expected to agree that it's a great thing to be proud of gay people. Right. But if someone wasn't proud of gay people, yeah, they would be considered that would be considered a hate crime. I think that we have reached a certain stage in society where there's certain human rights that we sort of fundamentally agree on. And if you look at, like, acceptance of of queer people um, in mainstream society, we sort of agree that, like, gay people should have or same-sex people should have the right to get married. We had a referendum on that. Uh, We agree that gay people have a right to exist uh, you know, have the same rights to health care or to housing or to whatever that, you know, straight people do, right? Well, yeah, but that's been, that's been with the exception of the marriage thing, all of that other stuff's been settled for decades, hasn't it? Mm, I think that people are more agreeable to it now. It might have been settled from a legislative point of view, but I think from a social point of view, it's really only been, I I reckon... Like 2014 was a time when the queer movement really started advancing, um, and especially in pop culture. And I see that acceptance and conversations, like I just saw it like around the world when marriage equality passed, I was living in the United States and I just remember the idea that like the president and uh, I remember Obama first talking about like LGBTQ. Mm. remember him saying that term. And I remember the validation that I felt hearing that. I was like, oh, my God, the president of the United States just said like gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender people. And I, the fact that that was shocking and exciting to me in 2016 mm. or was that when, it, no, 2016 was when it passed in the US, I think. Um, no. 14. 14. The fact that that was exciting, it was 14, because I was in Mexico City. (laughs) Of course you were. I had just landed for a gig in Mexico City. Right. And uh, a straight identifying boy that I was dating at the time, who in my book lives in Indianapolis. Um, But doesn't really. Well, because you have to change the names and the locations. You don't have to. We just talked about your apartment. You didn't want me to. (laughs) Well, I asked you not to put that in. (laughs) Um, But... um, uh, I'm a polite person who That's good. reached you out respect, to everybody who was in the You respect pool. other people's opinions. Yeah. yeah. Well, I respect other people's privacy. right to privacy. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and usually their opinions too, mm-hmm. unless they're... Unless they're anti-pride. The C word. Um, <laughs> you can say that. Unless they can that. Yeah, sure, um, why not? But, I, I, yeah, I remember I landed in Mexico City and he texted me and he was like, did you hear that marriage equality just passed? And I was mm. like, is that a proposal? Yeah. Um, and... I was completely 
uh, not expecting the wave of emotions that I felt when that happened. I mm. had to go behind a pylon in Mexico City Airport and do the ugly cry. Oh. And it was just that thing where, like... You couldn't a, do an ugly cry, Shane. You're too pretty. Oh, I could. Really? You you, you haven't seen I it. I have to see. I have to make you cry. You, or you, you don't need to see me to cry to be ugly, but I've certainly seen... You know, photographs from late nights on the dance floor, right. you know, in drag where I would be defined as less than socially acceptable. Right, right, right. Um, but, yeah, it was like quite an overwhelming moment. And that was only in 2014. Right? I remember reading the decision as well when it came oh, down. Yeah. I was working at HuffPost Live in Manhattan and, and when it came down I remember reading it. And, yeah, I, I cried yeah. at the... The majesty of the language and the yeah. it was more at the momentousness of it. But doesn't the fact that that was so momentous so recently point to how quickly things have changed as well? I mean, I'm not you know I'm not I'm not su- suggesting that oh pride is so passe because we've had pride forever, but I am suggesting that it's been probably the most successful civil rights revolution uh, in modern history. Uh, one could say the the turnaround because the sh- in the, the 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 space of the turnaround, gay, like the Black Civil Rights Movement, the Black Civil Rights amazing, took forever taken... and is arguably less robust. Uh, oh. in, in, you know, it's it yeah. took. I mean, from the end of slavery, then you had the eternity of Jim Crow, and then you had the riots of the sixties and Martin Luther King getting shot. Well, and just remember then, that queer people had no visibility or rights up until no, that's right. the late 60s. That, but that's what I'm saying. So, like, within a half century, you've mm. gone from zero. You've gone from... Zero to hero. <laughs> you've gone from being not only, uh, like, hated, yeah. but outlawed. Yeah. And then, I mean, as recently as when we were children, yeah. it was still considered a perversion and, yeah. like, a you know, a really dysfunctional way to live. And that has now... You know, yes, that still exists in some corner, in some pockets, but that is now an opinion that is that it's impossible to express without either getting fired for it or certainly uh, uninvited from the next cocktail party in our great Western nation. Yes, that's right. Yeah, uh, so the the pace has been amazing. The legal achievements have been amazing, mm. and so I I guess. Is anyone allowed anymore to not be on that train at the pace of that train and to express reservations? I think about like these recurring incidents of like football players not wanting to wear pride jerseys to, yeah. on, to on the you know on the field well, or using cultural and religious uh, excuses that have been cherry picked specifically relating to queer identity feels a little like too convenient. It's like well, there's Lots of things that your religion forbades, but you're fine with those parts. But when it came to queer identity, that was when you took umbrage. That to me feels like maybe people are using excuses when what they really mean is I don't like gay people. Yeah, I mean, of course they're cherry picking, aren't yeah. they? I mean, yeah, I used to have a whole stand up bit about how, you know, people, when people say, oh, you know, being gay is filthy, it's disgusting, that they never say that about crab cakes. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. uh, God says the same, has the and same bacon is delicious. admonition towards be- crab cakes and yeah. things that crawl off in the sea, as yeah. it does towards gay sex. Um, but, I mean, we don't get to choose how people interpret their religion. We only get to choose whether or not we sort of allow them to 
celebrate their religion or articulate their beliefs. I think there's a difference between celebrating their religion and holding their beliefs and those beliefs then impacting on other people's right to exist. Right. But we've we've eliminated that possibility by outlawing discrimination in, yeah. you know, on the basis of sexuality. Well, I think the question is, like, why do people feel that way? Like, why do, say, if we're talking specifically about, specifically about gay and bi men, um, what is it about that that um, people are against? And I've got a few thoughts. One of them, it all. I think empathy is a a thing here, where either the person is this is a get out of jail free card for all of the straight homophobes out there. But like, I, listen up, all my straight homophobe followers. Yeah, you're in luck. Like either you do not possess any capacity for empathy and you're like this 100% straight bloke that has no attraction to men and therefore you cannot in any way understand how anyone else's experience I somehow suspect that true. the biography of Shane Jennick is going to contradict <laughs> this theory, but carry on. Well, it's the Scott Morrison argument. Like Jenny told him that yeah, empathy was a was important. human quality. Therefore and he, he turned it on it. in his robot brain. Yeah. So that's one. Maybe it's not a get out of jail free. Maybe I was leading up the garden path there. And then the other side is this. Now, I was on the bus. No, I was on the tube in London during COVID times and everyone was wearing their masks except every time there's always one or two blokes who weren't wearing masks. It was always men. My anecdotal evidence was that it was always men. And I would sit there and I was like... Like everyone else on this tube is wearing their mask. We're in a pandemic. Mm. This is during the peak time mm. of it when you didn't want to be on the tube. I was no. going to rehearsals for, I was like allowed out of the house for special. Mm. Anyway. Then you couldn't get an Uber or a cab because you no. were saving up money for your crack den. Exactly. And then I found myself getting really agitated and like almost like aggressive, just sitting there on the tube, looking at these men who weren't wearing their masks. And I was like, all of us here are doing the right thing. We're all being considerate and concerned mm. about everybody else. We're wearing our masks. Why aren't you? Right. And I sort of had these like aggressive uh, thoughts in my head. And I'm thought, feeling aggr- aggrieved just you doing that to me purely oh, in act oh, out. I feel sure. like I'm not wearing a mask. I should oh. be wearing a mask. Now Shane's shouting at me. <laughs> what did I do wrong? Well, now take, I took that idea. This is like a exercise in empathy for me. And mm. I took that idea and I thought, well, hang on a minute. Maybe this is what homophobes feel. Maybe they think they're doing the right thing. Yes, we've all had these feelings. Yes, men can be attracted, but I'm doing the right thing. I've been told that this is how I'm supposed to be. This is how Mm. I'm supposed to live my life. And all of these other poofters are out there, you know, breaking the rules when they're doing the right thing. Like maybe maybe that's where the homophobic aggression and violence and, and disdain comes from. That's very interesting, yeah. I remember, t- I remember suggesting to my brother when we were in school that someone who was picking on me was probably jealous of me and he laughed at me because he thought that was the most self-serving interpretation of why I was being bullied. <laughs> that's what uh, our parents told us. Yeah, that's right. But I think there's something there. It's not 100% of it, but there's something there yeah. that the... The bully wishes that they were as cluelessly uh, un, unruffled by that. Like often the cluelessness of the confidence and the competence of the person who's getting bullied is what's riling up the bully. Yeah. And so there's, there's, it's interesting. I was reading a very uh, entertaining uh, um, 
uh, pornographic magazine. No, what's you it called when it's it. like edu- not educational, like a like a thing, like a thesis, like a text, liter- not literary. Essay? Like, yeah, but, but there's a better word. Anyway, I was reading this. It was Where called, were you reading it? it was like can a, you do maybe like sounds like something yeah, you can do? Yeah, it sounds like, like a, university thesis. Right. Uh, I want to say literary text, but that's not right. It's not okay. literary. You were in a, it was a journal. Maybe it was a journal no, or something. it was like, like a, not educational. Anyway, it was okay. like it a, was a thing. A smart person who studied right. stuff wrote right. the epistemic. It was on a Fantails lolly <laughs> wrapper and it you was, were reading the biography it was of Gina Lollabrigida. M- much larger than that. It okay. was the epistemic contract of what? bisexual erasure. What? And I found it really interesting because it talked about how um, there is... It is in uh, straight people and gay people's interests to, in air quotes, erase bisexuality. For straight people, for straight men, their heterosexuality can only be proved in a world that is monosexual, gay or straight. So if bisexuality is just a thing that we all know and love and accept... Well, in sorry, let me backtrack. In this world, all a man ha- all a man has to do to prove that he's straight is have sex with a woman or show attraction to a woman. In a bisexual world, if a man has sex with a woman, he could still be attracted to men and therefore his sexuality is in question. Right. For gay people, there's also um there can also be a, a desire to erase bisexuality because a part of the um, conversation around gay identity has been that it's immutable, that it's not a choice. And so bisexual people sort of look like it is a choice because mm. they're like, well, I can sleep with anyone of any gender, therefore it is a choice, therefore gay isn't a real thing, therefore everyone should be straight because uh, it's a choice. Yep. So it's interesting when you look at that and then consider that like, yeah, maybe maybe these, because I always think about straight men as being the ones to focus on either how they're reacting in the case of pride, you know, your question mm. about pride or like obviously they're, they're people who feel like they're under fire at the moment, which I kind of enjoy. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is even, it's even an interesting self identifier, isn't it? Straight men. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit slippery for the reason you say, but like there's one, I, my eyes were opened when I was in my teens or maybe early twenties by a book by a Canadian cultural theorist named Bert Archer, mm-hmm. which I'm not even sure if it's still in print, but it was called the end of gay and the mm-hmm. death of heterosexuality, Ooh. which was great. And it, I mean, one, I still remember one line from it, which was that the, and this may not be Bert's, he may have been quoting someone, but he, he said that, that bisexuality looms so large over the human condition that it's invisible to most people. Mm. Um, and so you need to sort of do what you're doing, which is like step back and think, okay, well, if everything were a spectrum, that would fuck with the ideas of both of the camps that yeah. have a vested interest in this. And, I mean, I found, and I should also say, to the straight guys or straight girls who are listening to this, the claim is not that everybody secretly wants to have sex with a member of the same sex and that they're just denying that to themselves. The, the claim is rather that it's more that the edges and the boundaries between desire, uh, aspiration, uh, flirtation, uh, what 
level of charmingness you ascribe to people and how you feel when you see people who are extremely uh, charming, charismatic, attractive or whatever. Mm. All of those things are muddier than the simplicity of I would always rather X than Y. And in that there are some cultures and some eras and some places that are more conducive to encouraging people to explore those boundaries than others. Well, even in this era, there's great... um there's like a great study. I know YouGov in the UK did this great, did a study and it talked about, I won't get the figures exactly right, but it was like young people between 16 and 24 when asked about their attraction, like questions, it depends on the questions you ask. If you ask them to say, are you gay, straight or bi? Like 90% of them said they were straight. But then when you started asking better questions, like, um, do you think it's likely that you could um, fall in love with or be attracted to someone of the same sex, like when you added all, went to like it was like likely, unlikely, no, like definitely not, mm. likely, very like different sort of grades of that. Yeah. Of, and yeah. people were like, well, you know, if the right person came along at the right time, do you think you could be attracted to or fall in love with somebody of the same sex? Like more than like close to 50% of people said, yeah, probably. Yeah, exactly. And it's even starker if you say to them like, you know, if you're straight, would you rather go down on Hillary Clinton or get a blowjob from Harry Styles? Yeah, that's a great, you know what I mean? It's flexible. It's it's theoretical. I mean, you'd have to be really straight, wouldn't you, to be going down on Hillary or at have this like point? Or have a mother, you know, thing, which a lot of... Straight men do. That's true. Maybe I need to... Not Hillary. Maybe it's not Hillary. We have to find someone Anyone else. but her. Is Lizzo, that what you're saying? I don't know. Someone else. <laughs> someone, yeah, anyone but J-Lo. Hillary. No, uh, J-Lo's hot. No, yeah, they'd absolutely. They'd take, they'd take J-Lo in a heartbeat. But this... So then the question becomes, what have you... Tell us about things that you've experienced in your life then that have given you cause to doubt the, the boundaries. Because you're not just talking about from your experience. Because do you think of yourself as gay, gay? I think that, like, I'm socially gay like i'm very gay i'm i'm like what people what they warned you about i'm like a i'm like a man who wears women's clothes who likes pastels who's feminine who well i don't actually have my fingernails painted at the moment um you know who dresses in drag who even like has sex with men whilst wearing women's clothes like there's all sorts of proclivities that i have but then you're depraved is what you're saying i'm depraved in like the old school 1950s like preacher like absolutely depraved. fire and brimstone and i'm like oh wow they got this all wrong this is good shit over here (laughs) um but then when it comes to my sex how it actually manifests. I'm attracted to people of different genders. I've had sex with women and, you know, people of different genders. I'm and did att- you like that? Yeah, it's I fun. mean, you liked that in the in a, in a sense of like you weren't constantly just sort of closing your eyes and thinking of England and thinking about a, a guy? No. Well, it's interesting, right, because um, a friend of mine and I were walking along um, and he had said, this was a couple of years ago, I was hosting a show called The Bi Life, which is a bisexual dating show on the E! Channel, and he was like, you know, you're just gay, like you're not pansexual. And I was like, well, he goes, you just have, you just had sex with women because like if their boyfriend's hot. And I was like, okay, well, let's just say that that's true for a moment. How many times have you found yourself having sex with a woman just because her boyfriend's hot? And he was like, never. And I was like, yeah, so it's a different thing. But I've definitely had sex with, you know, couples like heterosexual couple, male and female couples. I've, um, I've had I've even had sex with two women at once. 
mm-hmm. which is every straight man's fantasy. It is. In fact, there was a straight man and his girlfriend watching as it happened. Um, is that can, right? How did that come about? Well. Wait, it, there were five people in the room? It's too many. No, no, three. Well, yes, there were. Well, actually, it was separate rooms because we were on the balcony on the daybed and they were on the couch were. watching. Right. Um, you can read about that in my best-selling memoir, Caught in the Act, available now. Um, there's also an audio book if you like the sound of my dulcet tones. <laughs> it is very good. I do like it. I don't remember that sequence, but but maybe oh, maybe, maybe I was just out. so overwhelmed by, by all by, of by, <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I was blushing at the time <laughs> and I needed some smelling salts to wake me up. I was so threatened. But you know what's interesting, right? I could have sex with every woman left on the planet and nobody would ever call me straight. Yet, the minute a man, a straight man, deviates from the very narrow and rigid boundaries of what is straight, people want to categorise him as gay. Mm. And I think that the problem is is that we we have obviously different rules for different genders. Yeah. And then also like... Very rigid boundaries. For different that just, sexualities, yeah, you mean. That, yeah. Well, for yeah. different sexualities, and you know, we have a different and for different genders because we view men. Oh, I see. Because a woman would probably be allowed to still be straight, even if she made out with her college roommate. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I just think it's interesting when it comes to sexuality because ultimately, like, if we flash forward to the future, I think the only thing that queer people want is for all people to be able to act and dress and live how they feel and to be attracted to whoever they're attracted to. Like there's nothing. Oh, well, no, I'm not sure that's true of okay. everyone in our community, that 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 human flourishing and, and uh, acceptance is the primary goal because part of the, this is part of the anti-pride, this is part of what I was sort of pointing to mm. in the, in the anti-pride question earlier, which is that there is a vision of like sexual self-expression that would be completely free of labels, mm-hmm. right? And yet at the same time, we live in a world in which there is a lot of sunk cost and investment in fighting for labels. Yeah, on... because it's a stepping stone. Well, it may be a, well, it may be a stepping stone for you, but at some point the, the people who are jealously guarding the fiefdoms of their labels and trying to raise money for LGBTQI plus activism and who are very invested in the history, the illustrious history of Stonewall and the early people who were marching for gay rights all over the place. Like they're, they're not all of them. I don't no, mean no, throw no. them under the bus, but at some point they need to cling on to a vision of otherness from the rest of society well, in order to perpetuate their own relevance, which could be, stymieing rather than uh, encouraging of the flourishing of the next generation of I, I think that's freaks. putting the cart behind – I think that's putting the cart in front of the horse because I think that that imagined future of no-label wonderland is so far off. You mentioned Harry Styles earlier and Harry says, you know, we don't, we don't want labels, we should be able to – and I'm like, well – that's a real statement of privilege in the world that we live in. I mean, in the United States right now, queer people are having their rights taken away at a state level, you know, left, right and centre. And we see uh, in... Well, wait, is that true? Well, in Florida and Texas, there certainly is. There's the the don't say gay bills, the rights of trans people, like like abilities to play sport and uh, in schools and all of I these mean, other... So, I mean, we can take those one by one, but yeah. like the Florida don't say gay thing, right, mm. is a response to a sense that 
increasingly school districts uh, were teaching people from who were very young about gender fluidity and that there was this this uh, this sort of orthodoxy that you're supposed to say that there's no such thing as boys and girls you can be whatever sex you want to be that that you know sex sex is not really a biological thing but gender is and gender is whatever you want it to be so there were people who have more traditional ideas about gender well i think who i objected think... to it for this was only for year three, right, grade three, so eight-year-olds and under. So the quote-unquote don't say gay bill, which is not a bill that I approve of at all, but I just want to be clear about what we're actually talking mm. about rather than, you know, throwing our enemies under the bus. What they wanted was that wait until people are nine years old before you start telling them that there aren't such things as boys and girls and that families are... Well, here's the problem with that though, right? When you think about it, the indoctrination, the so-called indoctrination that 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 points to, that queer people are trying to uh, have this ideological conversation with children, has already begun with children in the heteronormative world. Like from a young age, children in school and, you know, through the media are told that boys dress like this and girls dress like that and they act like this and they act like that. And we have these sort of narrow bandwidths of definition of what, like we're, we're fine with boys playing with toy guns, but heaven forbid a boy should play with a toy doll. Like that's ludicrous. Yeah. I mean, I said it's not a very good law, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm, but I hear a lot of rhetoric about how people are having their rights stripped away. And I just want us to understand that the rights have come a very, very, very long way, very, very fast. Yeah. And we've, we've had probably a thousand fold increase in the capacity of queer people to flourish and be self-expressed. And there's a conservative pushback at the moment, which I disapprove of wholeheartedly, but I would contextualise as saying that they want to bring it back. You know, we've had 100 steps forward and they want to bring yeah. it back two steps. Which historically in, is something that we see consistently when that's it comes right. to civil rights and human I mean, rights. you know, trans people in sport, when, when and where was this age of pleasure and plenty where trans people were in an uncomplicated way allowed to participate in sport in whatever, you know, the sport of whatever sex they chose? That, that never existed. So mm. now there are laws that are you know, depriving them of the right to compete in women's sports. But, I mean, then you also have the feminist sort of Jermaine Greer, J.K. Rowling critique of, like, there is a kind of something special about being a little girl and going through puberty as a girl, and that is also something that should be protected uh, and not steamrolled out of existence. I don't think that those two things are mutually exclusive. The existence of trans girls and cis girls can, I think... The I I think the idea is that uh, the cis experience, cis being not trans, the Latin for not not um, not on the uh, the Latin for on the same side as, and trans oh, being the Latin for on the other side as. Right. Um, I think that it's important to acknowledge that uh, cis and trans experiences are unique and don't need to take away from the experience of the other. Right, but you're just saying exactly what J.K. Rowling says. Well, but she's using it in a way to, in a weaponized way, because she understands that there's logic in that language, but then she extrapolates it further in order to take away the rights of trans people. No, I don't think she does. I mean, if you read what she says, like Uh she, she really, she really does. I mean, if you actually read what she says, what she's saying is, all respect to trans people. Go get them. Fantastic. Do you, you believe do you. that's what she means? I feel like getting into a conversation about J.K. Rowling is well, let's, counterproductive. Yes. All right, let's let's put her aside and okay. let's just ask whether or not it's a, a transphobic position to hold to say 
trans people are absolutely entitled to all of the rights that everybody else is and we should applaud and support them. And also, it's not the same to be a trans woman as it is to be a cis woman. That That's not exactly the same thing, that there are still sexual differences and all kinds of experiential differences that take place among cisgender women that are not the same as trans. trans. I like think the I- gotcha question at the political debate, for example, oh, yeah. is, is always like... What's the definition of a woman? Yeah, what's the definition of a woman or like a trans... You know, Jordan Peterson, for, you know, this BBC journalist thought that she was, you know, had a real gotcha by saying like, are trans women women? So like, you know, the, the posters on the placards in the streets are trans women are women, as if to say trans women are cis women, essentially. I mean, trans women and cis women are all the same I would disagree thing. with that. I think that what we're actually talking about is... That trans women um, are, that trans women and cis women are both women. They're not saying trans women are cis women. I think. But everyone agrees they're both women. I mean, apart from the most well, radical Jordan Peterson doesn't, JK Rowling doesn't, all the people that No, she does. Doesn't. She just thinks that they're trans women. And trans women recognize that they're trans women. No trans woman is out there saying, I'm a cis woman. <laughs> well, actually, one that I was in the Celebrity Big <laughs> Brother house did yeah, try to say that. They're, they're, they do exist. I mean, also, I don't think the I think trans is women from are trans people either. Women. I think are trans they... women are saying we are women, but I don't think trans people, trans women are saying we are cis women. I think trans that's women true, but know the, that they're cis but women. That's the implication when you say that they're, if, if it's bigoted for, for you to say that there should be any carve out for cis women, in other words, when it comes to the case of, you know, does, you know, the, the, the trans woman who sues the Korean spa for not wanting to shave her balls, right? Well, uh, or hang wax on. her balls. This is the problem with this conversation is but that on, people always that bring up because, these extreme, but that's ridiculous be- I cases. I know it's ridiculous, but that's how you, that's how you then tease the out principles. Gets, then the conversation gets focused on these extreme alienating things when really most trans people are trying to of just course, live their life. Absolutely. And they would what I'm saying is they would be it would be easier for them to do so were it not such a hot culture button issue. And it wouldn't be such a hot issue if there weren't these extremes. Well, yeah, because like the, 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 the extremes thing I, I it's a sorry to interrupt, but it is something that gets my goat because if you've done a philosophy class, then mm. you know that the way that you try to figure out what's right and wrong, for example, is by pushing at the extremes and going like, why can't we eat babies? Like, what's wrong with <laughs> eating babies? There are a lot of babies around. Why can't we just eat lots of babies? Sam Harris gives that, uh, that example all yeah, the time. Yeah, but think about then, the, the, why, is it, why don't we talk about that more? Why don't we talk about eating babies more? Because it's ridiculous. If in my world we would, Shane. <laughs> in my world I'd have but a radio show to, every day called it, Talking Eating Babies with Josh Sepps. When it comes to trans people, the no, I get detractors I, look, I get, know that I get, they bring up bathroom you're sport dodging, or you're young sort people. Of, you're sort of doing a, like a whataboutism where it, like... I think we do, if we're going to be generous to the trans community, and of course, you know, we're, we're somewhat speaking out of turn because neither of us is, is strictly trans, but the... the Or unstrictly. Or unstrictly trans either. Uh, but, the you, you know, you do have to deal with... So what's the question that I'm dodging? Uh, the question of, is... If a trans woman wants to shave her balls in a Korean bathhouse. So... If people don't know what we're talking about, there there was a court there was a court case in the United States where a trans woman went to a Korean spa and then they they said that they didn't want to wax her balls and so she sued them. Uh, and there are all these. I didn't know this. Yes, case. that is true. And there are also cases of uh, you know women women being sexually assaulted in women's shelters, for example, because 
people who were ostensibly trans women, but who were sexual predators were. Well, that's, now, but that's not to do with on, their transness. Saying, that's to do with their sexual predatedness. Correct, but you wouldn't have someone in there who was who had the motivations of a violent male sex offender or a violent female sex offender. How many of those are there? Well, they exist. Probably just as many as violent trans sex offender, trans women sex offenders. And that's the problem: is that you conflate the conversation about these uh, trigger topics like sex offenders, you know, trans women. Hang on, this is all just building up to the actual question, which okay. I think is the actual question that the that the Rowlings and the Greers are trying to sort out, which is: should there be any space for cis women? Should there be any spaces? Is it ever acceptable? Is it always bigotry for, you know, a cis woman, no matter how traumatized, no right. matter, you know, no matter how much of an elite, elite athlete or whatever, is there ever a space in which cis women can assert womanhood? I think that it's, I think I, look, there's, 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 I, I want to define some things because from the public perception, trans women are considered, like, from some people's point of view, trans women are being sort of pigeonholed. Well, what J.K. Rowling is doing is pigeonholing trans women as men. And so She's not, but some people are. Well, she does. She uses her argument to suggest that she uses the sex first gender argument to plant paint the picture in the, the minds of people that trans women are just men dressed up as women. I don't think she does. I mean, point me to where she says that or well, says anything like it. in her essay that she... Um, uh, the, yeah, that uh, she published, that after, she published. after this whole... It originally blew up. Yeah. She... Um, oh, God, I haven't read it in ages. She definitely she, doesn't say anything like that they're just, well, dressed, says, they're just men dressed up. She, she says, says, oh, you know, I'd probably choose to be a man if I had the choice. And she sort of conflates it to being this, like, whimsical choice about what gender do you want to be and thereby suggesting that trans women are, you know men who are just sort of choosing to be women. I think there's something, if you... I don't think she ever denies that, but there is a scale of uh, credence that one has to apply to different claims of sexuality and gender, surely. So there's the case of the the person who from the age of two has always insisted that they're the opposite sex, right? That's a, that is clearly a trans person. And then are you putting... Are you giving the same credence to the 16-year-old autistic girl whose friends are gender non-binary who says that she's non-binary as being a fundamental attribute of her character? I think that this conversation that we're having is the wrong conversation because I think what it's doing is centering these um, sort of more fringe uh, or extreme ideas, which I know you say in philosophy is the most But like we're centering these extreme ideas, which are possibly like 1% of the experience, and we're giving them at the moment a lot more than 1% of the volume in the narrative and the conversation. Right, but it's also an extreme idea to a lot of people that people can be a different sex than the one that they were born with. Yeah, so is. we all have to give some credence to each other's extreme ideas to get along in a democracy. But it's also uh, an established idea that, you know, most people in Australia, I think 78% of people surveyed um, by Equality Australia um, are... are um, on board with the idea that trans people should be afforded 
you know, the same rights to live and exist as other people. Like they're on board with the idea of um, of trans people existing and being allowed to exist in public. And it's, there's, I get, I get frustrated only when, only because I, I, in the media and the news, I see so much of this um, conversation happening when really I think what would be much more functional is if we looked at how trans identity and even non-binary identities and queer identities can actually lift up and support women in the struggles that they face as well. Because I think that we're all fighting against the one common enemy, which is men, um, <laughs> which is this sort of patriarchal idea of what a woman is supposed to be, what a man is supposed to be. And I think that there's something really um, punk and also functional in, say, I mean, even like really, this is really basic, but even someone like Harry Styles wearing a dress or, you know, in my my Instagram feed, granted, might be quite different from a lot of people's listening, but I see a lot of um, fluid fashion a lot of men wearing things that would be traditionally considered for women. And I think, you know, historically look back at the 1930s and Catherine Hepburn wearing trousers was, you know, groundbreaking and 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 shocking. And in 2022, um, this idea of fashion being fluid is being deconstructed. And I think in doing so, when you deconstruct the expectations of gender roles in society, you also create freedom for women to um, to flourish however they feel as well. Like I think you you do that for all people who are not mm. Um, mm. sort of cis straight men. By, by well, and even cis binaries. straight men could do with a little bit of uh, well, busting more so out of than some, anybody. <laughs> some... That's some... the kicker. Yeah. I think rather than focusing the conversation around the extremes of trans identities, I think what we should be talking about is like the the... Poor men, the suicide rates of men, the depression rates of men are significantly higher than those of women. Like men are these these sort of um, idealised forms of masculinity, I think are so oppressive to men. And I think that because they're, um, what do I want to say, that they're like these, these social ideas create a world where maybe the man hasn't even considered uh, who he really is because his role is to live up to the expectation of what a man is. Mm. I mean, I guess I know that personally because I felt that pressure for a long time as a young person. But then because I was just so far left of centre, I just, I was, my, my queerness was irrepressible. Whereas I think for a lot of men, who they really are versus who they've socialised to be. And I understand it's like you can't really separate the two because the the world that we grew up in informs who we are. But I feel like there's a lot of compromises that are made. Um, and it's not that I'm calling for anarchy. Um, it's more that I'm... 10% more anarchy. Yeah. Now without anarchy. anarchy. Just a little bit more anarchy. No, I mean, I, I, can, I agree with all that. I mean, just to, to close the chapter on the, the what are we focusing on thing and why are we focusing on these extremes, I would just say that I completely agree that there is a uh, a culture of right-wing ratbaggery which tries to whip and whip this stuff up and like ferment it and make a mountain out of a molehill and constantly focus on these outlier experiences in order to demonize an entire community. My point is just that what often happens is you have this 
swinging to and fro between mm. one from one side to the other and each side aggravates the other so mm-hmm. much that it brings out the worst in the other. Yeah. So it's not I think this whole conversation about all of this nonsense about trans bathrooms and athletes and everything like that would be almost non-existent if people just listened to what J.K. Rowling and Jermaine Greer are actually saying and just took them at their word and if it wasn't the case that like just to give you an example of what it's like to talk about this in the in public. Yeah. I mean I'm just going to quickly insert that I respectfully disagree with what you just said. That's fine. Continue. That's fine. <laughs> uh, but I mean if the panel th- there is so much hysteria on both sides of this. Yeah. You know, there have been BBC journalists who have been suspended for just even touching the the subject. The the idea that there, you know, the suggestion... trans people who are murdered on the daily. Absolutely, and we don't approve those of yeah. that, do we? No. But most people do approve of... I mean, most people in polite society clearly approve of the of the approbation that that hits anyone who touches this subject. Well, because nobody is... Everyone agrees that anyone who touches it is a transphobe. Well, there's obviously, like, uh, extreme... Uh, extreme. I mean, behaviors. you don't even have to respond to it. I don't no, want to no, put you on I, the spot. I, here, no, but, I think that it's. But important. just to give you an example, like the when the Tavistock Gender Clinic closed in the UK, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was the usual right wing ratbaggery from some areas in the Australian media, but it generally didn't get reported on at all because everybody knows that if you even talk about this, then the level of scrutiny and complaints is going to be unbearable. So, I mean, I was the only person on ABC Radio who did a segment about it, and I've had to waste an entire afternoon responding to editorial complaints that have come through from people who go over it with the most fine-tooth comb that you could possibly apply to any half hour. I mean, the most unreasonable and ridiculous claims. Well, but they if... want to they want to increase the penalty for anyone talking about it so that there are certain certain subjects, certain spheres of discourse that can't take place. And I just fundamentally think that in a free society we shouldn't be mischaracterizing each other. We should be taking each, giving each other the benefit of the doubt. And if there are some old school feminists who are so such dinosaurs that they think that there's something unique about growing up as a girl and that that's relevant to womanhood, they deserve a seat at the table and they don't deserve to be but pounded what, out of polite society. I agree. I agree with what you've just said, but I think that um, the way you apply what you've just said to um, the extreme sort of uh, I don't know, I don't know what the right word is to describe the small but extremely mighty. Um, uh, the sort of censorious wing of the gender of the, critical yeah, theory I think, movement. Yeah. I think that again, when you talk about the um, the the sensory wing of the gender, crit- no, the sensory wing of the. As hang on, I'm talking about the the. You're talking about the righties or the lefties? The lefties. Yeah, the lefties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's the extreme lefties, and I think what happens is then you then sort of suggest that all trans people are no, 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 unreasonable. No, 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 not at all. They Most trans people don't agree with them in the same way that most people of colour don't agree with the white university-educated wokesters who are pushing, you know, a whole bunch of ideas about them as well. It's a very paternalistic university-educated kind of theoretical, theory-obsessed clique. It's not it's got yeah, nothing to I, do with the lives of real I think you have to look people. at, like, both sides of the argument, right? Like, what is it that motivates um, the let's say, transphobes, and what is it that motivates the people with the extreme defence on the other side? And historically we're talking about people who are extremely oppressed when we're talking about trans people. Um, 
you know, that, like you said, they've only recently been able to sort of exist in society. And there's a lot more visibility now, which is wonderful, but visibility without protection is a trap. Mm. Um, and you're talking about um, people who live and exist on the margins and have had to fight and struggle for their identity. And I don't agree with the way that they go about things, but you can see that so much of their identity is is defensive and wrapped up in, and I don't agree with, like there's these extreme ideological sort of ideas where the people get torn down. for. And I do think that we need to have a level of um, common sense when it comes to what we are willing and not willing to accept. And I feel like we're in this sort of, uh, maybe not infancy, maybe like adolescence of um, conversation about trans identity. And I, and I think like some of these ridiculous arguments that we all sort of like inverted commas, sane people look at and say, that's ridiculous. Why, why is this person being criticized for that? Why is this journalist being criticized for that? I think we need to have more nuance and understanding of those issues. And and sometimes it's okay to say, well, actually, this is where I am drawing a line. As long as the motivation of that person comes from a place of, you know, understanding what they're actually talking about. Now, I would say when I read the J.K. Rowling essay and also read some critiques of it and some support of it, I thought that she was using her skills as uh, an author, as a writer, to construct this um, very seemingly sensible and logical um, idea that when you read it, it seems very reasonable and you're like, yes, yes, that makes perfect sense. But I think when, when you then look at it with some empathy through the eyes of the trans community, I'm not saying that that extreme ridiculous response is what's required, but I think it is a lot more nuanced than, oh no, JK Rowling agrees with trans people and thinks that they should exist. She just has a few of these disagreements. I think there's something a lot more insidious in J.K. Rowling's um, writings and opinions that are sort of like dog whistling. Um, Look, to maybe, greater. maybe we can't get inside her head, can we? So, no. I mean, but I don't think she. I don't think she was like lying awake nights thinking about this until. However, until look at she, the books that she's writing. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's an obsession, a weird but, yeah, obsession but it, here. This with comes this back topic. to the to and fro and to and fro, doesn't it? I mean, it, it comes back to like Florida passing a law. Florida wouldn't need to pass a law telling schools not to teach five year olds about. Uh, gender theory. Do you think if, that J.K. Rowling really feels like her rights as a woman are being encroached in a in a real world way? I feel like she sees a, a trend towards demonising anybody who defends the right of cis women and as being a bigot, and she's worried that that's going to mean an end to feminism. As I she think you can it. defend the right to cis women and um, understand the nuances of trans women without. They're not mutually exclusive. You don't have to. Well, she to... thinks she's doing that. I think she does think she's doing that. I think she. But anyway, who knows? I, well, why, I wonder why if are she, we uh, psychoanalyzing wonder... a woman who we've never met? <laughs> well, I wonder if she does, or I wonder if there's something else that is wrapped up in. I mean, why. I can tell you from my personal experience when I am told, you know, that that a certain conversation is forbidden, and that. I'm not allowed to make sense about something. I'm not allowed to speak plainly and rationally and honestly about something because it might hurt somebody's opinions. Then I dig in. Yeah, but I think that... So why wouldn't she? I think that um, when you're told that, you, you know, you, there's a... It's 
I guess as a journalist, it's in. I think that it's incumbent of you to understand both sides of the argument and then deliver what is the thing that makes sense, which is what you're saying you want to do, which makes sense to me. But I think that perhaps um, sometimes we, I think it comes back to a level of empathy. And I remember growing up, I remember questioning my gender identity and thinking, am I trans? Like I do drag, I present very femininely. I enjoy everything that goes with femininity. Um, When I'm dressed as Courtney, I find it easier to engage socially. Like there was all of these things that I was like, oh, I don't know. And then there was also, um, and I lived in like a binary world. You're either a man, which I didn't, I didn't really feel like all of the things that I was were a man. I was like, well, I'm not really a man, am I? And I was like, well, therefore I must be a woman. And so for a long time, my confusion came because of this binary idea of, of gender. Am I a man? No. Only other option is woman. Right. And then I felt really conflicted about my gender for a long time because I was like, oh, I don't think I am a woman, but it's the only option. Mm. I'm really confused. And it, I was. Is this while you were doing drag? Yeah, this was like 2000 and I was living in LA, like 2012, 13. Actually, no, 2014, I remember um, deciding to go there in my brain because I grew up in a transphobic society and I took on all of that, you know, socialized idea about trans people and I didn't want that for myself. And so I was too afraid to consider if I was trans or not because I didn't want to be trans because I thought that was less than. And it wasn't until the conversation, it was 2014, wasn't until the conversation about trans people started picking up some pace in the media. I remember Laverne Cox on Katie Couric schooling her about why it wasn't appropriate to ask a trans woman about her genitals. I remember Janet Mock on Piers Morgan talking about um, uh, sort of similar misgenderings and sensationalizings of her identity saying like born a man Mm. you know up next Janet Mock born a man and things like that and then her coming back on the show to sort of school Piers Morgan and I remember for the first time being like oh trans people are have a right to be respected like these two women have asserted themselves in the face of you know Piers Morgan and Katie Couric and and into the world to say like no 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 we're not just going to sit here and be folly for your, you know, sensationalization. We're sensationalization. Is yeah, that'll do. Sure. Uh, we're going. We're, we're actually asserting ourselves, and we're holding our own space in society now. And I remember feeling like wildly empowered by that. And other conversations that were happening, other books and memoirs that I'd read of trans people. I now had a esteemed enough opinion of trans people to think, oh, if I am trans, maybe that's not such a horrible thing because I can see that trans people are valuable and are worthy. And then I examined, I had the courage to examine, ask myself the real question, am I trans? Because for so long, I just didn't want to look. It was just like, la, 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 la. Because I, and I sort of played around with those ideas socially and I just didn't know the answer and I called my best friend Vanity in Sydney and I was like I'm 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 I don't know what I'm going to say but I just need you to listen and I started talking with the comfort and safety of a friend who I knew probably shared my experience and wouldn't judge me either way and I got to the end of the conversation and I was like oh 
I'm not trans. I, I don't want to be a woman. I love being a girl. I love femininity. I love all of those things, but I don't want to be a girl or live as a woman or any anything like that. I understood that I didn't have any dysphoria about my body, but I still... What clicked in that conversation that led you to that? It, it was the strength that I had to actually ask the question because for so long I just had blinders on and I was like, I don't want to look because I'm scared of the answer. And then when I did look, I was like, oh, actually I can see a world where I'm not a trans woman. I don't know, I don't know if I'm a man but I don't know what I am, but maybe that's okay for now. And then a little while later, um, through my friendship with Chaz Bono, who is a trans man who is happens to be Cher's son, um, he and I were having this conversation and he said to me, you know, have you ever heard of the term gender fluid? And I was like, no, what's that? And he's like, it's just this idea that it's okay for boys to be feminine and girls to be masculine. And I was like, that honestly, in 2014, that was revelatory. I was like, fuck, really? I just, I had never thought, and it sounds so dumb saying it now, but I just never thought that it was okay for boys to be feminine. I always was failing at being masculine consistently, but I was always trying. I was mm. always trying my hardest to be masculine, even even though I was failing at it. And so that was a real important sort of aha moment for me. And But the thing that was interesting was that I would often ask trans people, I'd done like a few interviews and things and I, I asked this question to a couple of trans people in trusted moments where I said, do you think that one day in society people will feel comfortable enough with gender and sexuality and identity and fashion and everything that trans people won't need to, you know, undergo medical transitions and we'll just be able to like live as is in society? And I asked that question to Chaz and he said, no, absolutely not. He said for him, his top surgery was absolutely integral to who he is. And historically, when I had asked that question to um, trans women that I knew, they had grown up in an era where, you know, in the, the 60s, 70s, 80s, like the only option, 90s, up until this, the last sort of 10 years, the only options a trans woman really had when it came to employment and making a living were like, a showgirl or sex work. Like you couldn't just get a job as a trans woman in an office. Like it, it was very uncommon. Yeah. Um, and when you think about like every, from, from the moment a trans woman walks out the front door in the morning, she's getting looks and being gawked at and, and you know, all of those sorts of things, which is why there was such an imperative placed on, you know, looking on passing. Passing, yeah. which is a term, sort of a dated term, meaning the sort of imposition of a trans woman to be able to pass in society as a cis woman. Yeah, was people about, didn't know that you were trans. You got a much easier ride, which yeah. makes sense. And so talking to Chaz about trans people, I was like, yeah, but don't. And he's like, no, no, I think that I can exist in society without surgery or without transitioning and I can just feel comfortable in my femininity because I'm not trans. And it was a real aha moment. It may have been the first time that I actually experienced real empathy in my life where I was able to put aside my lens of understanding and how I had translated my experience onto trans people. And I had thought for the longest time, oh, yeah, you, I just made a better choice than you. Like I could have been trans, but I actually just chose this because mm. of whatever reason. And that's where I realized, no, that is, that is not correct. No. There are people who are trans yeah. and they are not me and they are different from me and listening to someone and believing someone was so important in me having empathy and as close to I 
as close to the trans community as I have been and or maybe even like I visually present like a woman sometimes, I still was so far away, worlds away in my actual ability to be empathetic to their experience. And so I just think that perhaps there is maybe a lack of understanding sometimes where people assume to understand the trans experience and these conversations that happen in the public sphere are based on so much like assumed knowledge Mm. that really no one who's listening, like everyone's just trying to go through life. Like the, the, the rights of trans people don't affect nearly everyone Mm. except for the trans people that they really affect. And I feel like being more focused on the upliftment of this really marginalised section of our community is more important than um, not women's rights at all. I think that they can work in tandem. And I think that if there was some real mm, conversation in the middle, like if we all took off our armour and we walked towards the middle rather than yelling from each side of the room. You mean like if we had uncomfortable conversations about this sort of thing, for example? Uh, I mean, I think everyone would agree, almost almost every reasonable person would agree with your depiction of Chaz there and that lovely anecdote about your empathic, the empathic leap that you were able to make in understanding that this is not something that people do frivolously, that this is something, this is the way that they are born. Almost everyone would agree with that. The The flip side is it's also the case that at the moment in a confusing gender environment, it's conceivable that there are a few cases uh, of teenagers who are uh, who feel like they don't conform to the stereotype, who feel like you did, right, mm. when, when you were saying, I don't feel like a man. I mean, I know gay guys who are quite open about the fact that if they were, you know, if they were 12 in 2022 instead of in, in uh, 1995, uh, they probably maybe would be considering being trans or would be at least considering coming out as gender non-binary or something like that. And so the difference in the discourse is that even the quote-unquote anti-trans person will, I think, agree with you that the chazes of the world exist. But on the other side, the censorious gender activist will not agree that the 12-year-old who could potentially go the other way exists. Because if you say that that person exists, then you have the blood of transgender children on your hands. Well, I think that it's important to acknowledge what you said, that some people when they grew up, if they grew up in 2022, that they might have chosen a different, you know, gender expression or path for themselves. There's nothing wrong with that. No. And in fact, having more conversations, I don't know whether you were hinting at um, sort of like mistaken uh, people. Like mis- detransitioners and so on. Well, or you know, people who didn't get there. I don't know if you were hinting at like the fact that like maybe some kids are getting swept up in the conversation. But I think that what actually will be a solution to that is more conversation, not less conversation. Yes, yes. And so for me, it was having these other different stories and more examples. And I guess, thankfully, a supportive environment and critical thinking. And I, I'm very curious about stuff, so I'm always trying to understand. Um, and I, I think that, um, I think that having yeah more examples was something that helped me understand who I was rather than sort of like stifling the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, what do you think then gender is going to be in the future? I mean, you said like, uh, you know, clearly... So Chaz thinks that 
in the future let's I, I don't even know how to how to tease apart the uh the trans community into its various into its uh, and like disaggregate it from its different communities mm. without sounding like I'm well, diminishing like some trans of them. People. But let's let's yeah let's there's say that you're a binary who medically transition. So you've you've been a binary trans you've been a binary trans person since you know you're an infant infant mm-hmm. right. Let's talk about that as you know trans 1.0. This is like a, well, this you, is real coke uh, the Kinsey scale this, of, but on, yeah, yeah, of right, gender right right a bit of gender. So that at the extreme end you've got people who. Basically, from the earliest time in their life, they feel like they are the opposite sex than the one that they were assigned at birth, mm-hmm. and they transition as quickly as possible, and that basically fixes everything. And they would lead miserable lives if you forced them to lead to to um, you know uh, to perform as the sex that they were assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the other end, you've got I, I suppose at the other end, do we also have binary people who are cis? Cis, yeah, yeah, and Somewhere in the middle, we've got. Well, where are you? I'm probably like on the cis man side, but probably closer to the middle than. Well, I won't. I won't project my assumptions of your gender. <laughs> but like, if I'm just drawing a scale here, if I okay, if I go like yeah, the Kinsey scale right. from zero to six, right? Where zero is. Isn't it seven? No, it's zero to six. Is it? Oh, okay. Zero is exclusively heterosexual. Six is exclusively homosexual. Okay. And then three. Trust Shane on this one. Yeah, because then it's like three is the middle. Okay. And then, you've, and then got, you've got zero, one, two, and then four, five, six yeah. as being the. So if we do it the same for gender, yeah. rather than cis and trans, yeah. there's this like man and woman. And I would say, well, see, it's very, see, I just wrote man on the zero. Like there was a assumption. That we're talking about people who are assigned male. Well, no, because I put woman at the other end. So I'm going to put woman at zero and I'm going to put man at six. So egalitarian. Well, but wait a second. You've got to be. Now this is, now this is, now you're doing my head in because are we talking about male versus female or are we talking about cis versus trans? Well, what I'm talking about here is what is my gender identity. Right. And if I put it on like, let's let's then say feminine to masculine or woman to man. Yes. I would say that I'm like a four. So I'm. I'm mostly man, mostly man, but definitely with a little bit of yeah. woman. I don't think I'm in the middle, and I don't think I'm on the other side of the middle. I yes. think I'm on the man side of the middle. Right, and so then the question becomes: In the future, mm. if the Chaz Bonos are always, you know, they are never going to find fulfilment unless they are unless they find their gender self-expression in a different sex than the one that they were assigned when they were born. So that means that that's always going to happen we don't want to erase that identity because their identity is precisely to inhabit the binary of male and female well, yeah because as an but, experience of dysphoria but here's that occurs the thing, with at their body. the same time mm. we've also got this gender fluid mm-hmm. type thing going on which questions the very existence really of sex and gender binaries in that way. It's sort of like the bisexual question earlier. It undermines this idea of biological imperatives. But then, so then the worry would be, wouldn't it, from both conservative cis transphobes Mm -hmm. and also from binary transgender Chaz Bonos, that if the gender fluid people win... You lose your team. I mean, you sort of, you're sort of undermining. Well, you're not what because makes I, a trans person trans because you're framing 
the argument incorrectly, I believe. I believe it Isn't is... Isn't this just an analogy to the one that you were making earlier about gay and straight and like bisexuality sort of But it's not to suggest that straight and gay people don't exist. It's just to suggest that perhaps the, the straight people, 100% straight people, 100% gay people exist. And then there's people who fall on the spectrum of sexuality in the middle and they're not they don't invalidate the existence of the other. Each person's individual experience is what their individual experience is. So bisexuality doesn't erase homosexuality and heterosexuality. So just as gender fluidity and people of, you know, varying gender identities doesn't invalidate the experience of a binary trans person or a binary cis person. It may not invalidate it. It sort of complicates it, doesn't it? I mean, I bisexuality does. does because aren't we basically like... But it's if only you're like you me think and there's something that... wrong with being gay or something wrong with being trans. Like, no, but the... if I, but if, I mean, if you're, if like me, you think that everyone is sort of on a sexuality spectrum and that I don't even really know what you mean when you say that there are some people who are absolutely straight. There are certain people who've only ever had straight experiences, but like going back to the Hillary Clinton versus Harry Styles <laughs> oral sex thought experiment, I suppose there are some people who who would always be more repulsed well, by any same-sex... Well, if it was a gun to your head, sex. they'd probably take the bullet. But, like... Right. But I think that, like, you're so, also okay. on an uneven playing field when you're... Which is the point, but, like... Yeah, that's the whole that's the whole game, right? If that's it was the like, extreme example It was again. like you're going to be killed if you don't do one of these things. Yeah, that's right. It's already absurd, just to point out. <laughs> I know. Who is staging this experiment? <laughs> you are! You're the one! I'm going to have to have, a, like, a bunker in my you basement said, where I get people... No, but who's you actually You want more than 10% anarchy. I, I can want, see what's going I on here. About, I want about a good 12.5% anarchy <laughs> in my world. No, but, you know, that, that does... That does that does erode How? the confidence that we can have in there being gay people and straight people. Well, it doesn't because you you can just believe people. See, what the real problem is... Believe people. No, but so that's the problem say. because we can't believe people in the... Con- we can't believe straight people in the construct of the world that we live in because they haven't had to question their sexuality like gay people have. And so it is possible for... And in a world where being gay is seen as less than, there are straight people who are remaining in the closet. And so when the closet exists, then you can't believe, in air quotes, people when they tell you about their sexuality because there's there's motivations for them to not tell you the truth. There's right. also the thing right. that these socialised ideals actually do lead to behaviour. So there's a lot of people... I wasn't... Honestly, I didn't realise that I liked guys until I was 18. Yes, I remember masturbating over Leonardo DiCaprio and I remember... I, I Basketball Diaries Leonardo DiCaprio? Or was this Titanic, Titanic. Or Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, well, okay. I remember thinking that... Okay, this is... I remember thinking that my mum might be able to read my mind. Right. And so... And I assumed that when I was ejaculating, my thoughts would be at their loudest. Right. So I would masturbate about Leo and then I'd quickly switch to thinking about a girl. I'm 14 at this stage. I quickly switched to a girl as I was ejaculating, thinking that I would throw mum off the mental mind reading She'd never guess. But the the point to that is, is that I went the first 18 years of my life because I didn't, because of the world that I grew up in, without having the language to understand that I was gay, even though it was obvious that I was. So there's a lot of... Um, I'm reading, have you read Red, White and Royal Blue? Uh, no, but Sean has, my partner. It's so cute. He loved it. He thought it was adorable. Without giving too much away, one of the characters sort of describes how they lived most of their life without understanding 
um, their sexuality as being bisexual because they could be attracted to women and that was enough. But actually there was this other world where you could be attracted to men and women and be functionally bisexual. Um, so Have I you just, ever heard Peter Allen's song, Bicoastal? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're reminding me of that. Yeah. <laughs> Both coasts are so much fun. Yeah, why do you have to pick one? Yeah. Hmm. Um, But I think that when it comes to the idea of gender fluidity, it does not invalidate a binary trans person's existence or any other person's existence. I think it just... But not invalidates. You're you're setting the bar too high. You're making a straw man. So I think if, for me, Mm. let's just talk about personal experience Mm. rather than theory, right? When I was in my teens, I thought that gay people had a very particular uh, fashion Mm -hmm. and a very particular politics Mm -hmm. and a a particular attitude towards sex, which was very libertine and and that they they dressed a certain way and spoke a certain way. Like me. And walked... (laughs) You thought gay people were like me and you were like, I'm not that. All as fabulous as you. Yeah. Uh, And... That didn't suit you. And that, because I... It not only didn't... I didn't object to it, it just didn't fit yeah. fit me and so because i wasn't that then i concluded that presumably everybody has the same internal uh hardwiring as i do and finds charming people charming and attractive people attractive uh, i mean just look at the catwalks of paris and milan where there are obviously really hot young look at the look at the abercrombie and fitch ads that young well, we males, know how that ended up don't we? So. <laughs> that that young that are you know this is companies spend billions of dollars uh winning over young men by showing them images of sexy young men. So to me, I just thought, as I was going through puberty, obviously everybody loves every everybody and can be turned on by everybody, but due to the fact that we live in this particular culture, you, you marry the opposite sex, uh, unless you also really like going down Oxford Street on top of an inflatable penis and wearing sequins and arseless chaps, in which case you go with the, the same sex. Well, that was correct at... That in the nineties, yeah, and that was so because but, there was only one story. That's right, but so that's the story that gets undermined by bisexuality and bisexual fluidity. So the story of my story, mm. and I suspect the story potentially of many people, is that like I was sufficiently intellectually cur- curious and also contrarian and like keen to buck every cultural convention that I could possibly find that I was pretty. Uh, eager and and enthusiastic about doing the forbidden mm. and that didn't mean anything to me that i never had a conception about being in the closet because i didn't even realize what i was right because mm. i wasn't part of the binary mm. now if the if lots lots more people in high school can date someone of the same sex and then date someone of the opposite sex and then date someone of the same sex again without opening up a whole Pandora's box of what that means about their identity. Mm. I think that will be a good thing for human flourishing and a bad thing for the labels of gay and straight. See, I don't know because I think they'll always exist. I don't think that 100% of the population is bisexual. I think that, um, you know, as you said, you were... Sorry, if gay and straight are currently 98% of the population with like 2% bisexual or well, actually, no, in because the conception of bisexual the people person. make up the largest percentage of the LGBT community but are the least represented. So when you look at the people who identify as bisexual, there's more of them than the L's and the G's. 
Okay, but I'll, let me grant you that okay. then. Let's suppose that it's, what, 6% bi and 5% 4%, yeah. and 4% uh, sure. gay or something? We're just making up numbers, but yes. Yeah, we're making this up. But if your conception of the way that culture is put together and humankind is put together is 90% straight, 4% gay, and 6% bi, and then you go from 6% bi to 60% bi, you've lost a bunch of, like, straights and gays have lost out. They weren't straight. No, I know, but the idea, that's right, exactly. That's great. I'm saying bring it on. I'm just saying let's not pretend that it doesn't also undermine the binary. Well, it, the binary, well, it undermines the binary in so much as it's no longer a binary. Yes. And I believe that that's, I believe, I don't know what the numbers are because we don't live in a world where people are able to just be either upfront about it, upfront either to themselves or to the outside world. But I think, yes, it does disrupt the binary of sexuality because the binary of sexuality isn't real. No. So it often people live their lives thinking that there's something wrong with them, but actually it's the system that's broken. It's the binary that's broken. And I would argue that that is the same for the gender binary as well. But then you'll see there's all these questions in the gender binary of like, what is gender? Like, mm. it's not just as reductive as like men's clothes and women's clothes. Um and so there's all of these... I mean, what do you think it is? You're someone who spends his life you know, playing around with it. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think that I... Even when I like was like, oh, gender fluid, that feels fun. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not... Maybe I'm not gender fluid enough or like... And then I was like, ah, oh, I've gotten to this point now where all of these labels, gay, man, um you know, pan, bi, gender fluid, they all were like signposts that were helping me find the street that I lived on. And then I was on the street and I had to work out which house was mine. And then when I found my house, which was sort of the the best examples of the labels that suited me, I then got to decorate my house and paint it whatever colour I wanted and make it mine. And that's where I have sort of gotten to now where I'm like oh yeah like labels like pansexual and gender fluid really help me to connect with the best label for me but ultimately now those labels don't mean anything to me because I'm just me Mm, mm. Um, and so when it comes to my gender it almost feels like a redundant question because I am me but that's also like such a privilege to be able to do that. Like I live in a world, like I'm a drag queen on the television who gets to flounce around and do what they want and people love that. For most people still living in, you know, suburbia, for a kid to just flounce around like I do would cop a lot of flack, would require a whole lot of uncomfortable conversations with a whole lot of people um, because we still view there something as less than as and and quite often it comes to femininity being seen as less than mm. um and i and you know as gay or attracted to men taking it up the ass like all of these things are seen as less than and so that's why that original idea that i talked about you know for men to prove their sexuality it's the idea that it needs to be proved in the first place mm. and i think in a lovely future world Nobody needs to prove their gender or their sexuality. They just get to exist as who they are. And there are lots of examples. There are lots of stories that are told of different genders and different sexualities so that people can see themselves reflected back and understand who they are in relation to all of these stories and then find their house and decorate it however they want. 
on that optimistic note of the future, <laughs> I, I will thank you for your time. Where can people follow you and how can people get you and what should they read? Uh, at Courtney Act on the Instagram. I mean, I'd say that I'm on the TikTok, but I'm just pretending. <laughs> I post things on there, but it's, I'm just trying to stay culturally relevant. Um, I feel like I missed the boat on that one. Yeah. I feel like I can't at this stage of my career be on TikTok. It you know would just I'm be do? pathetic, wouldn't I'm it? I'm going to pay someone young mm. to, to TikTok for me. And they, will they just run around behind you taking videos That's of you? my hope. Yeah. yeah. I'll do it. You, no, you're not young. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought you, you just were said a, you missed the boat on yeah, TikTok. I'm not entrusting yeah. you to my no, TikTok. That's a very good point. So I'm, I'm rather busy. I have quite a that lot too. going on. Um, but what can they read? Or well, they can read my book, Caught in the Act. They can read your book. It's excellent. It's fascinating. Uh, Caught in the Act. And they can read your uh, your wonderful Instagram posts. Uh, thank you, Shane. I know it's, uh, it's it, you know, not always easy walking into the lion's den. And I didn't even know that we were going to be so. Uh, <laughs> 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 that's right. Exactly. But uh, I appreciate you for it. And I love uh, I love hearing your, your ideas. Thank you. Nice to see you. See ya. Uncomfortable Conversations is produced by Stefan Postuma. Follow me, Josh Sepps, on Twitter and Instagram for all the latest. May your day be fruitful, your mind humble, your enemies generous, and your conversations perfectly, sparklingly, delectably uncomfortable.